Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have an incredibly special guest on. This guy has co-authored more than 30, that's right, 30, three, zero, more than 30 books, sold millions of copies of, of said books around the globe. And um, just a fantastic human being. I have Mr. John David Mann, and with an appropriate last name because he is the man. So do me a favor and share this out. This is going to be a great, great interview. We're going to have a lot of fun. So share this out. See you in a minute. And we're back. Let me bring John onto the show. John David Mann, <laughs> welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I, I look forward someday to being one of those walls that gets smashed. <laughs> <laughs> I love that opening, man. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. I I had I had somebody, a friend of mine, Craig Doeswalt, sends me a text message and he says how on God's green earth am I not in one of those openers? <laughs> those spots cost, right? You got to pay for those. That's spots. right. Right. <laughs> 1.7 million and you're in. So, so, so John, um, first off, thank you for coming on today. There's the inimitable Ben Gay, the third Ben, welcome. Um, Thank you for for taking the time to come on here today and chat with with everybody and tell your story. I'm looking forward to 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 going through some of it. So um, let's start with where you were born and raised. Um, yeah, I come from an from an undistinguished background. Well, that's not true. The background is distinguished. I was undistinguished. Um, I was born as a child, as you know, and um, in in. <laughs> That gets them every time. Here we go. And, <laughs> and uh, in in Summit, New Jersey, in Central New Jersey, I am wow. a Jersey boy. Wow. And I uh, grew up there. My my dad was a um, musicologist, a, a fairly famous musicologist, and a choral conductor, very fine choral conductor. He um, conducted choirs of world renown in his time. Was a specialist in Baroque music, Bach and Handel, and so forth. Wow. Uh, my mom was a school teacher and musician and a playwright. She wrote children's plays, um, but but you know plays on serious topics like Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War and you know all kinds of things. So um, she was a playwright. It's just that she believed that kids could do serious theater uh, and didn't just have to do you know little kids musicals. So um, that's that. Do you see the comment on the screen? I, I see that. <laughs> <laughs> there she amazing. is. Wow, she's on the show. Look at her. We love you too. Oh my Anna. goodness. <laughs> I just saw her. This is so great. 
Um, well, now we now we're gonna, you and I are just going to blush through the whole show, right? Now, now you have to be Gosh. on. Your wife is watching. <laughs> I know, I know, it's true. I am nothing. I am nothing without her. <laughs> that's so funny. So, so I so, so I grew up in New Jersey. That's yeah. that's uh, where it started. With musical parents. Correct. Correct. Musical and literate parents. Um, wow. Music was always my background. I started out as a professional musician. I have on, on numerous podcasts, I have said that my career has been like a pinball game. I've gone bang, 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 yeah. and done many different things in my life. Um, drawn by interests and curiosities that I've had. I started out as a classical musician, which was a pretty conventional track for my family. Um, I played the cello. I was a composer. Um, I won some international awards when I was a teenager, a young teenager, a true Jersey boy when wow. I was 13. And um, so I, I was really headed for a career as a classical musician. And I got offered a couple of positions for teaching composition at a couple of colleges, which was weird because I didn't finish high school. Um, I dropped out of high school in my junior year to start to band together with a few friends and start our own high school. We were unhappy with the schools we were in um, and, and wanted to create a school of our own where we could really learn and study like anything. So we did. We built this school. And um, in my senior year, I went to it as a student in its first year. And after I graduated from that school, because we did offer our diplomas, we did graduate our students. We did have adults on our faculty. We had a massive cadre of volunteer teachers from our parents and all their ex fields of expertise, um, everything from you know, sewing and to computer programming to contemporary American literature to you know, foreign languages to you name it, we had it. Wait, wait, wait. Can, can, can we back up for a second? Did me, you just me, say me. you dropped out of high school to start your own high school? That how, is how what, the, what. How did the, I don't know, the New Jersey government look at that? I mean, what? how does that even happen? I guess this is where it gets a little unconventional. <laughs> I love it. Um, I, how, but I, I, yeah, please tell. I, um, the, the, the government really didn't, I don't think they noticed, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I learned, I came to my parents and said in my sophomore year that I wanted to drop out of school and I told them why. And they said, okay. And then we found out that that, that wasn't legal. I had to go, we had to go in New Jersey at any rate, I had to go to school till a certain age, which was wow. I think 16. And so in my junior year, I was able to, to drop out and I did. And, um, I was the only one of our group of a dozen or so who, who actually left school to focus full time on our school. We hired, yep, Jackie, this is true, made our own high school. We hired, and I put the word hired in quotes because there was no money involved. We hired a, an amazing man, a novelist named Julian Thompson, probably my first encounter with a real live novelist, who came on as our director. And Julian and I worked together for months and months and months and, and uh, did the fundraising and did the research and did the outreach and gathered a student body. And the following September, we opened our doors. Um, and we, we, as I say, I went to it as a, as a senior, graduated yes. in the first graduating class. And then I went back and joined the faculty. So I was in the faculty of that school for a year. Um, hey, Joachim from hell, I remember. You said his name right. That's because I have classical roots, man. 
You said it. I ne- he's he's a friend of mine. I never. I just call him Joaquin. Well, that's pretty good. But you better, say better than Joe Joaquin. Yeah, Joaquin. <laughs> better than Yoke. <laughs> you know, yeah, names. Wow. People call me yeah. David all the time. <laughs> I, they do. I can't figure it out. It's like that is so funny. So I, I, I so that was my I, educational background, and then I left that school. So I actually technically did graduate from high school, wow. and then I spent some time studying music at a, at a music college in New York. Um, but I never did matriculate it. I, I lived on the Yale campus for half a year. I was dating a girl who went to Yale. And so I lived in the women's dorm, uh, freshman women's dorm, uh, surreptitiously. My mom called me the Yale ghoul. And then I, um, the, the dean of women had a sit down with me and suggested that it might be more appropriate if I found lodgings elsewhere. They talk like that. <laughs> yeah, so I did. So I got, I got an apartment in downtown New Haven. And the, the first weekend that I was there, there were two shootings and a stabbing right across the street. So that was where I lived oh for the second half of the of the year. And uh, and that was it. That was as far as I got. I never did go to college. I mean, I never did matriculate. I never earned a college degree. So I am not really a, a high school dropout, but I'd like to say I am. Well, you're you, you, technically you are. Technically, I am. Yes, yeah. So see, I, I can wear I, that I, I walked out in twelfth grade and never went back, uh, and I I didn't start my own school. You see, what well, still have the foresight to do that. Well, How did you even think? I, you know what? I'm sick of your stupid curriculum and rules. I'm going to start my own school. Who does that at sixteen? I don't know. It'd be like Bill Murray in, uh, in Groundhog Day. I'm not going to play by your rules anymore. Right. <laughs> so you can, you and me and Steve Jobs, we're all in good company, right. all high school dropouts who then went on and did something. I know. Brian Tracy. Oh, I did not know that. I thought out. Good yeah. company. Yeah, thank God so, for Brian Tracy because that saved, that saved me. <laughs> yes. But anyway, go ahead. Precedent. Good to have yeah. precedent. So, yeah. I mean, I, I had a, uh, to sum up, because we were talking last night, you and I were talking about traumatic childhoods and, and yeah. overcoming hardships. I had the opposite of a traumatic childhood. I had a wonderful childhood. I had amazing parents that were incredibly supportive and that basically taught, you know, told me they did the, the they were the archetypal baby boomer parents. I mean, not, they weren't baby boomers. We were baby boomers. Yeah. Parents of baby boomers who said, you can do whatever you set out to do. And I just believed them. Wow. The trauma part came pretty much after, uh, after that, um, in my years as an early adult, um, my, in my first marriage, our first child died at the age of 10, which, which was, uh, an event so horrendous. I couldn't believe it was happening. I, I was in absolute disbelief. I think for, for years afterwards, almost like not, not denial as well, maybe denial, denial, disbelief, just like, how could this happen? Um, and, and the, the marriage fell apart. Uh, the first business I created fell apart and I was forced into bankruptcy. And so all these things, bam, 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 sort of started happening to me um, in my 20s. Wow. That, uh, that sort of showed me the darker side of life, I guess you could say. Um, wow. And wow. so that was, that, was my, that was my childhood and that was my early adulthood. And uh, it, I think it gave me both a lot of belief in myself in the first part, and then a lot of doubt in myself in, in the second part, I, which has worked out to be, I think, a pretty 
good combination. I've always said to be a writer, you need to have the 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 arrogance of a teenager, and the the humility of a Buddhist monk. <laughs> you know, and I got the I got that that total confidence part in my childhood, and oh, I'm not yeah. sure about the Buddhist monk part, but anyway, I certainly got got some lessons in humility in the decades that followed. Uh, I can't. It took me three tries. It took me three tries. And you know this already. It took me three tries to figure out how marriage is supposed to work. And the third try we have seen on a show up today already um, on the show has, has just been absolute bliss. And people say when they see us and go give a marriage podcast. Yeah. But you know, that's the, that's the public side you're showing us. What's it really like? What, what it's really like is it's just, it's heaven. It's heaven on earth. Um, We just adore each other. And there's, we have we we live a life where there is plenty enough difficulty coming at us from the outside. Yeah, we don't need to play it out on the inside. Amen. Um, so we're happily on the same team, which is a good thing because life can be a challenge <laughs> at times. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, and and let's just tell everybody the truth: you outkicked your coverage. <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Anna is so nice, though, and you are too. You're two of the nicest people on the planet. Um, you know, I I think first off, I'm I did not know about the loss of your child, and I'm so so sorry. Mm. I that I can't I can't wrap my brain around that one, nor do I want to. Yeah. Um. So, but you know, I have to say, it, you know, it, it, it isn't you know something that I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy if I had a worst enemy. At the same time, in the years that followed, I think that 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 tragedy and, and just about everybody I've ever met has suffered tragedy. Um, yeah. When that happened to me, and I, I say it to me, like it was aimed at me personally, because right, that's right. the way we often tend to view things. When that happened. I felt like I was the only person on the planet who could have suffered such a terrible thing. That, as it turns out, is not true. Um, yeah. Almost every human I've ever met, you know, there's this saying, you know, the person you walk past in your street, uh, be kind to them because you don't know what they're suffering. Well, you don't. No. Almost everybody has suffered some kind of unspeakable tragedy. Whether it is as dramatic as, uh, you know, losing a loved one or a complete loss of your uh, uh, you know, bankruptcy or, you know, losing a limb or going through war or whatever these dramatic things are, or less dramatic, you know, the betrayal of a friend, uh, the kinds of uh, the, the years of cold indifference from a parent or a spouse, the kinds of tragedies that you know, don't show up in movie screens, or I guess they do really, but they don't show up in headlines in newspapers and they don't look dramatic on the outside, but they're just as damaging on the inside. Yeah. We've all gone through it. We've all gone through it. And for me, the result was it, it, it in, in the long run, it didn't make me a more bitter person. It made me a more empathetic person. I don't think that I was particularly empathetic at the age of 21 or 20. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I think it, I think it, um, you know, it deepened me as a person. Got, got deep, ma'am. You know, you're you're 21 years old, and and I, I, you know, sitting around the pub having beers or whatever, and 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 you can look at your friends or your 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 people hanging out with you and say, "Hey, by the way, I dropped out of high school and started my own. Did you? 
(laughs) (laughs) I used to say that all the time. Yeah. Great conversation starter. (laughs) But I just think that that's, that that's mind blowing that that you, you did that. Like who at 16 years old thinks I'm going to just go start my own high school. I I just doesn't, I, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. So, so, so you said, you said in, 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 in the midst of all that, that you're, you're, you started a business and it failed and you went bankrupt. What business? Uh, it was a magazine. Uh, I didn't, I didn't know how brutally difficult the publishing business is. It was a magazine that was uh, focused around health, natural health and environmental issues. And it was called solstice. And it, it grew and grew. It grew very rapidly. I, I gobbled up a competitive magazine um, in, a, in a friendly merger. Yeah. And um, all of a sudden, I'd, it had grown out of my control. And I didn't have enough business experience or business sense or business running a business um, yeah. to know how to manage it. And so it, it got, it got away from me. And, and soon I was in bankruptcy court. So at some point... Um... I don't know what point, but at some point you got into, um, and I know, I actually know part of this story, so I know it was later, but you got into writing books between the bankruptcy and, and, and beginning to write books. What's, what's the gap time gap. And what did you do in those years professionally? Um, I spent years, I, I, I spent years in the world of network marketing. Uh, particularly, I was big in, in, in natural nutrition. And so there were nutritional products that I was just uh, all enamored with on, on like the physiological health level. Yeah. And then I found out that there was, you know, a business side to that. And, there, and I never thought of myself as adept in sales, but I certainly did have an affinity for coaching and training and leading. And I love that sphere. Yeah. Um, and so I, I messed with that for years and made some money there. And then I got into, into writing about business and writing about sales and writing about network marketing and writing about leadership uh, in, in journals, in business journals. And I, I, was, I participated in or started a series of journals, um, which the common denominator in everything that I did was I was always the guy editing other people's stuff. So... The short answer is I did a lot of editing. Some of it paid, some of it didn't. Um, most of it didn't, <laughs> actually. Yeah. Um, I put in a lot of years making money on my own in the in the network marketing world and editing, 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 editing stuff that I loved. Eventually, the editing started to pay a little bit, a salary, actually. And that, that bled into um, helping people put their books together, editing books, and then ghostwriting books, and then co-writing books. And then, you know, that finally ended up with where I am now, which is, which is authoring and co-authoring books. And um, oddly enough, it turns out this is what I was meant to be doing all along. I just didn't know it. I kind of stumbled backwards into my calling, into the reason I was put on the planet. Well, it took me 50 years, but you know, yeah, well, you get there eventually. You, um, I mean, Colonel Sanders didn't start KFC until he was like 66 or something, uh, you know, so it, yeah. The white, white goatee. I should think about that. A white goatee. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? It would look great on you. Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. So, so the, I mean, 
along the way though, I mean, network marketing, especially that can be, um, it can be tough to make money in that sometimes. Yeah. No, no, it is. It is. It's, it's, it's brutally difficult. It's kind of like, uh, making money, writing books, (laughs) right? You know, uh, it's, it's hard to earn a living writing books, um, because it's, it, it is brutally competitive. There's so much reading material out there. There are so many books out there. And honestly, to be just to, to tell the truth here, like we were saying last I, I, night. Unlike normal, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Honestly, for a change, trust me when I lie. Um, honestly, most of those books don't make the author any money. Right. Uh, it, it's it's the rare author who, who is able to actually live on uh, a... a a subsistence, subsistence income, let alone become well off writing. So all of the household name, the famous authors, the James Patterson's and Stephen King's and J.K. Rowling's and so on. Obviously, they're the superstars. Yeah. But even the the you know the lesser rung, the the B rung and the C rung of of all the people you see on the airport you know bookshelves, some of those guys are making money, but you know a lot of them are doing something else. I I I I always I'm sure you you. I would imagine you would, if you coach somebody about writing a book, you'd say, Hey, um, do not quit your day job. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. You know, I, I think that, um, it's, it's important to point that out because it, it takes, it's a great calling card. Would you agree with that? Yeah. If, if, so, if I'm going to coach somebody in writing a book, you know, the first thing I I'd ask, I'd say is, what's your goal? What's your purpose? Why are you writing a book? What is the outcome you want to see happen as a result of you writing that book successfully? For some people, it's just to get the story out. I mean, and and out to like family and friends. Yeah. Um, I know people who've written a book and, you know, a few hundred copies or maybe a thousand copies have gone out to people that are in their sphere and that's their legacy. And that's fantastic. That is a success story. Uh, It's not an income you can live on. No, they, but you you might make back your expenses, which is from a from an economic standpoint is fantastic. Um, yeah. A lot of people in in your sphere in the in the sphere that you people that you often have in the show are using a book as a calling card, like you said, yeah. Yeah. and that's a perfectly legitimate uh, purpose for a book. Um, you got a book that basically tells your story, tells what you do, describes your business, describes your niche, describes your your your, your unique selling proposition, whatever it is. And it is like a business card with 185 pages or 200 pages. And that's great. You don't even need to break even on a book like that because right. you, because what you're doing is you're getting clients for your business. And that's great. Yep. Then there's people who want to write books because they want people to read the books, buy them. They want to sell those books and then and earn a living from that. And that's the, that's the, probably the biggest challenge of all economically in uh, in authorship but it's certainly doable it's certainly sure. doable sure jk rowling uh, you know I, everybody's like well she was a struggling mom that that single mom that that couldn't put food on and she wrote harry potter and and became a billionaire overnight yep <laughs> which overnight. is what <laughs> it did, it really didn't go down like that but but you know it's a it's definitely a, an admirable um goal i i personally i know what it takes to sell books and um 
I would, that's just not one of the goals I personally would set. <laughs> like I just not to earn a living, you know, full time. Um, so, so, um, and walk, how do you say it? Joaquin. That's such a great reason. I want to write a book because no one else has written it. And, you know, you just nailed it there. Um, yep. it, it's the, the, I don't know of any, well, before I even say this, I'm thinking of an exception to this rule, but you know, I don't know of any authors who's, who sat down and said, you know what, I want to become an author because I, I need to get rich. I need to make money. I need to make a, a big income. It's not a, it's not a reasonable business plan. You, you go into writing books because you're burning to write books because like Joaquin said, there's a, there's a book that no one else has written, or there's a story that you really love to tell, or you just love language, or you love writing, or, or and this is probably a biggest common de common denominator, you love to read. You know, Lee Child says, I I'm able to write one book a year, one Jack Reacher book a year, but I'm, but I'm able to read three or 400 books a year. So which one do you think I prefer? He says, given the choice, if I had to give one up, I'd just, I'd be a reader. Yeah. Man loves books. Yeah. And you need to you need to have a complete love of books, love of reading, love of writing, love of language, love of words for for this machine to hunt, for this dog to hunt at all. Um, but yeah. yeah. And then and then it, it, to make money, you simply have to do it really, really well. Have, you have to rise to the top of your game, which is the tr truth in any industry, isn't it, Ken? It is. I, I, and you know what? I, I also think that along the way you can have a. Um, boy, this is an overused phrase, but um, you can have a paradigm shift. You can, <clears throat> you can, you, I told myself for many years, I hated to read books for many years. And then <clears throat> at 22, one, somewhere in there, I read Tony Robbins book, Awaken the Giant Within. And I was like, <clears throat> I want a jet helicopter. <laughs> like, right. So, and I'm like, and I, so in this, I say this all the time. I wrote this in a Facebook post the other day, read every book you can get your hands on every book, because the answers to life, somebody's already written about your, your situation. Somebody's written a book about it or written a blog. They've written about it. So read yeah. And now today I absolutely love to read, but I used to tell myself how much I hated reading. I wasn't a good, I didn't, I said that, I, those conversations, I'm a horrible reader. I'm a terrible student. I'm blah, 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 blah. And then I had that shift. God, I wonder what teacher created that in you. Maybe yeah, it wasn't a teacher, but oh, you know, okay. Oh yeah. yeah. And she told oh. me I would never amount to anything. I've written <sighs> seven books now and she's written zero. Uh -huh. so. <laughs> <laughs> right. I think that would right. be the appropriate response. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I did it to tell a story that organizes experience, thoughts, create a marketing program. That's it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's another great. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so John, you, what was the very first book you authored officially or co-authored? You know, um, I'll answer that question, but first I'll give you a, a, another thing, which is I, I too had a, you know, my Awaken the Giant book. Um, it wasn't a Tony Robbins book, but there was, I always enjoyed reading. I read a lot as a kid. I, I read, um, you know, like any kid, I read lots of stories, but as a, as a teenager and then as a young adult, I, I read almost exclusively nonfiction. Um, I read a lot of self-help books. I read a lot of books about leadership and about success and about this and about philosophy. I, I was big on philosophy, Oriental philosophy, Western philosophy. 
And um, my wife said to me one day, you ought to read East of Eden. I think Oprah had just made a, her book of the book of the Oprah, Oprah book club book. And, and uh, we were talking, she was talking about it. And I said, yeah, I never read that. She said, you never read East of Eden. And I said, no, I never did. Um, there's so many books I haven't read, Ken. It's just, yeah. I, I could fill a library with the books I haven't read yet. And maybe I will. Um, she said, you really should read that. <laughs> exactly. She got it right. <laughs> Not na na boo boo. The second stanza of which is "Stick your head in doo doo." That's what. I <laughs> in any case, um, <laughs> there oh you my go. God. <laughs> so she said you should read this book, and because she's smart, and I listened to what she says, I did. I went and I picked it up and I read it, and it blew my mind. It blew my socks off. It stunned me and amazed me. I I didn't know you could do that. Um, it, it, East of Eden is this epic that goes over several generations in Western U.S. and it's just it's just an amazing, powerful story that that had more darkness and grittiness and and fascinating characters and shades of gray than I than I imagined uh, could exist in a, in, a, in a novel. So that started me off on on novels, on reading wow. novels. The first that, book that's fiction. I've never read it. And that's, yeah, it is fiction. It's, it's a, it's a magnificent mm -hmm. epic of uh, multi-generational epic. And, you know, of those 30 plus books you mentioned, 28 or so are nonfiction. Most of the books that I've written have been nonfiction. Yeah. I've just now made that switch to fiction in my writing too. That same switch that I made in my reading has finally bled over into my writing. Thank heavens. Wow. I loved writing the nonfiction books, but I look at it as my schooling. I look at it as my high school, my undergrad, and, and novels as my grad school. Um, you asked the first book I ever wrote. Technically speaking, the first book I, first mainstream book I wrote, like not, uh, you know, sort of ghosting or assisting yeah. in some other marketing books. But the first real book book that I wrote was The Go-Giver. Wow. It, it wasn't the first published book because it was rejected by over a dozen publishers. And before we took it back to New York a year later, I published another book, which was uh, a memoir of a young, of a friend, uh, a mm. kid who's 30 years my junior, Cameron Johnson. Um, story of a 19-year-old self-made millionaire. It's a great book. It's actually, it's called You Call the Shots. And the subtitle is The 19 Essential Secrets to Entre Entrepreneurship or something like that. Wow. And this this guy, Cameron, um, he wasn't 19 when we wrote it. He was like 24, I think, or something. And uh, he's a wonderful, wonderful guy. I can't really say kid anymore. Um, he's in his 30s. And he had made his first million while he was in high school. He'd started over a dozen businesses and every business he'd ever started had been profitable. I want to read that one, says Jill. It's That's my I, wife, I, by the way. Oh, it isn't? Of course, yeah. there's walls. I, I wish it were better known, that book, um, because it's it's really a great book. Uh, and it's his life story uh, and as told through these, these 19 secrets as told through his life story and the story wow. of his businesses. And um, it's a wonderful book. So it's, it's, I think it's still available in paperback on Amazon. You call the shots. And then the, the second published book was the first book I really wrote, which was The Go-Giver with Bob. And The Go-Giver more or less you know, established my career as, a, as an author. Wow. That's incredible. And The Go-Giver, that came, when was that? What year was 2008. Eight. Came out in 2008. And about eight months, nine months after it came out, the economy tanked. 
Lehman Brothers, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, right? Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, underwater houses. And, and uh, so uh, interestingly, we kind of thought, well, we had this lovely little parable about putting other people's interests first. And all of a sudden, we're in an environment where people's houses are underwater and their 401ks have evaporated and, 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 and you know, all hell is breaking loose. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people are going to have time for a lovely little parable about putting other people's interests first. <laughs> Much to our surprise, the book took off. Yes. Um, it actually increased. And yeah. I, I, what I learned from that was that in, in times of great stress, times of great catastrophe, um, after coping with the immediate situation, yeah. people's next response is to start looking inward and getting introspective. People start to re-examine what, what's important to me. When you've lost a lot that seemed like it was meaningful, you start asking, now, what really matters to me? Um, yeah. You know, people have, some people have had this experience just having a near car crash, right? You're going through an intersection and this car just misses you and you pull off to the side and you're still shaking from adrenaline. And what do you start thinking about? You know, first you think, oh my God, he could have hit me. Could have, am, am I, I'm okay. And then the second thing you start thinking about is all the things that matter most to you, the people you hold dear, the things you're living for, the things in your life that are, that are worth living forward, the things you haven't done yet that you want to accomplish. You know, it's like yeah. you get down to your basics. And that's what happened in 2009. And the Go-Giver started to gain a following. Um, and, and then, you know, you know what happened from there. The Go-Giver has sold over a million copies. It's crazy. Bob and I wrote a additional books in the Go-Giver series. Yeah. And as you know, the latest of which is with my wife, Anna and me, uh, or Anna and I wrote the Go-Giver Marriage this year. Phenomenal um, so, book. So that one little book planted a seed that's still, you know, very much living today. Still in all, I, for me, all the nonfiction books are, like I said, are like my schooling and I love them and I'm happy to be an alumnus of them. Yeah. And uh, now I'm, I'm, I'm a novelist. That's what I, that's, I, I believe, I think everybody was put here for a purpose. By the way, I first heard that from David Bach when David and I started working on our book back in 2009, actually, wow. David and I had that, David had that idea for a book and he approached me and we started to work on it. 2008, actually, in the, in the, I think the summer or fall of 2008, David approached me about that. And um, I had interviewed him for a business magazine earlier, and he had said something on that interview that really struck me. He said, I believe that everybody was put on this earth for a unique, special purpose that nobody else can perform. And to me, the great tragedy is that most of us aren't doing it because we're too busy leasing and chasing, you know, leasing our lives and chasing an income. So we, we don't have the financial security or this financial stability to go do the thing we were put here to do. That's what I'm here to change. That was his, his mission was wow. to give people the tools of financial freedom, not become a millionaire, not, you know, own an Island, not pie in the sky, get rich quick, but financial security, financial stability, financial freedom, to the extent of the ability to do what I was put here to do, yeah. which usually doesn't take massive amounts of money, but it does take, you know, 10 grand a month, 20 grand a month, or, you know, whatever. It takes something that takes your basic nut to get handled, five grand a month, whatever that is. Um, so I was very struck by that. And I always kind of wondered what I was put here to do. And I began to realize it was writing of some form, but when I, once I hit novels, 
you know, we talked about this bad boy last night. We're going to talk about that. That's, too. that's, yeah. that's the deal, man. That made, that made my life go click. You know, I, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I, you know, back, um, I, I saw Bob on, uh, Grant Cardone's, um, podcast or something. <sighs> yeah. And, and, and I remember seeing that and I'm like, I like that guy. And I literally like I did some research and found a phone number to to Berg International or whatever. Yeah, and yeah. I, Berg Communication. I, yeah, and so I call it, and Bob answers, and and I'm like, wow, and 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 so That's because all all the staff were out that day, right? I know, right? And so I, it just it surprised me, and I had a great conversation with him, and and. Um, and I, 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 you know, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm thinking like, man, I think your book, I mean, I've always been kind of a giver myself personally, trying to help people and whatever, but back in 2016 or 17, when I, or when did I start the show? 18, I guess. Um, I, I, I think that your book is part of the reason that this show exists. Wow. The wow. go-giver. Hmm. And because I thought I, I remember thinking we were going through a bunch of crap and I, I'm like, you know what? I just need to start interviewing people and hear how they got through the hard times and help them tell their story. And and yeah. and my story will 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 change along the way. Um, yeah. I just intuitively knew that. But, That's you know, and it's 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 happened. I, I give I have a platform where I give people the ability to come on and talk and tell their story and promote their stuff. And um, and as a result, and I don't I mean, outside of you, you I charged you to be on here, but yeah. I don't charge anybody else. You don't charge the others. <laughs> I'm, I'm hanging up right now. <laughs> Where's the off button? Where is the, Where's this thing the off? off? So no, honey. <laughs> where's the off button, honey? You play it so well, I love it. So, <laughs> but you know, I think that um, I think that you you um, you, you've inspired me and and many 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 other people, <sighs> uh, millions to be exact, um, to to have a better life, and that's pretty freaking cool, man. Mm, that is that is an incredibly gratifying feeling. Yes, that is yeah. that is great. And you know, the book is is has been has been there for a year, but what's also for a decade. But what's also been there is all the people, you know, the community, the readership, and comment after comment after comment. You know, with hey, there's Tom. Thank you, Tom. Anna had such a great time yesterday with that interview. I told you this. Um, yeah. Great guy. Uh, yeah. and, so many readers have written over the years and told us um, this book made a pivotal difference in my life. Well, what a gift that is. I feel like, I honestly, Ken, I feel like every book that I've written is a gift that's dropped in my lap. And, you know, I, for the last six weeks, I've been really struggling with, I'm writing book three in the, in the Finn series. And it's always like this at this point in the process. There's a, there's a struggle that goes on where I'm sitting in my chair every morning at five or six in the morning and, I, and I've got a pad of paper and I'm trying to, it's like I'm trying to figure out what the story is, but what it's more like is I'm trying to sort of get out of the way 
and let the story come through. I don't want to sound too woo-woo, like I'm a trance channeler or something. It's going to be Abraham writes the story or something. <laughs> <laughs> but it's something like that. There's this story that, you know, that wants to be told. And the Gold Giver just, to me, it felt like it's, I had just been, uh, when Bob approached me about writing that, I had just come off of a many months long screenwriting course with an uh, amazing teacher in Hollywood, a guy I'm still in touch with and who I, I, I give all the credit to for, for all kinds of, he's one of, the, one of the two writing teachers I've ever had. He's magnificent, Hal Crosman. And so I just come off of Hal's courses in advanced screenwriting technique. And so I, I was sort of bristling with, he'd had us doing a lot of exercises. A lot, I'd, written, I'd written tons of scenes. I'd written tons yeah. of scenes that will never be seen in, in movies or TV, but they were really, really fun. And so it's like all my um, all my tools were out and all my spidey senses were tingling and I was kind of like an engine rearing to go with it, needing a road to run on. And Bob said, I'd like you to write this book with me. And I'm, <laughs> I was like, okay, boom. And it just felt like a book that was waiting to get written. You, you were like, what took you so long to call, Bob? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's so awesome, man. So yeah. so talk about, um, and, and we did an Amazon Live last night, um, and we, we talked about your, your newest book, which is right here in my poems. <sighs> Cold Fear. And they did a hell of a job on the cover. Yeah. And and so talk about I asked you a question, and for those who didn't see it last night, shame on you for not watching. But um, yeah, what's the deal? <laughs> right. Uh, what's, up with, like, what's up with that? I, I asked you a question. I said, out of the 30 <laughs> plus books that you've written and co-written, co-authored, um, how many of them have been fiction? And you said two. These two. Two. Yeah. Wow. I mean, really, all the parables are fiction. And I said this last night as well. I mean, yeah. all the go-giver books and out of the Here's maze, hold, the Spencer Johnson up book. Again. Here we go. Yeah. Hi. There you go. Yeah. Cold fear. This is the first book, and it just came out in paperback um, a few weeks ago. So Steel Fear was booked, was the debut of, of these this novel series. This right. is book two, which just came out last week in, in hardcover. Um, and all the parables are fiction, but um, I, I think of them as sort of miniature miniature novels, but um, they're not generally regarded as fiction. This is fiction, you know, novels. So, um, yeah. yeah, this is it. This is my and, and switching from nonfiction and everything I've done to fiction feels like, you know, putting down the clarinet and picking up the violin. It's like a whole switch of, of career. It's a whole switch of, of tools and techniques and, and everything. So it's it's really been a blast. So so talk about the newest book. Talk about you've you've the the cold fear. Um, yeah. And you co-authored that with a Navy SEAL by the name of Brandon yes. Webb. Yep. And and um talk about how that series steel fear was the first one you just showed um how did that even come about um so back in 2009 uh Gogar was just you know a year a year old a year and a half old i got a call from my literary agent who had a guy walk into her office um this is when when captain phillips right in the heels of the captain phillips 
rescue, this dramatic yeah. thing that we've all seen the movie now, right? Tom, yeah. this is before um, Captain Phillips was Tom Hanks. He was just Captain Phillips then. Yeah. And he'd been rescued by these three SEAL snipers who'd taken these three coordinated shots and taken out these three pirates. And everybody yeah. watched, it, watched it happen on CNN. And my agent um, turned to her sister, they were watching TV and said, I, I want, they were doing an interview with uh, a guy who had who had trained Navy SEALs and was describing what kind of training goes into into these guys. Yeah. And she turned to her sister and says, I want that guy as, as a client. How come I can't get that guy as a client? And then uh, three days later, that guy walked into her office and said, I need an agent. And that guy was Brandon Webb. Wow. Um, he was not only a Navy SEAL sniper. He also, uh, after uh, he came off active duty, he was tapped to head the sniper school with a friend. The two of them completely reworked the sniper school for the 21st century. So he had, he wow. had a fascinating experience there. He wanted to write a memoir and my agent gave me a call and said, I know you don't do this kind of thing, but you know, military book, but I thought I should let you see it. And I was like, there's no way I am not doing this. This is so fascinating. So totally foreign to me. I knew nothing about the military. I never served in the military. I had great admiration, but no experience. So um, we clicked and we wrote that memoir. It was a New York Times bestseller. That, that, is, that book is called The Red Circle. And uh, Brandon and I clicked so well as a, as a team that we went on to write another half dozen books together, all nonfiction, memoirs of different kinds and, and so on. Um, the last one of which was called Mastering Fear, which is a book about applying principles gleaned from the world of special operations and entrepreneurship in your life on mastering fear. Now, in that book, I outline a five-step process of what it takes to, to not be beaten back by a fear, not ignore, try to ignore a fear, which never works, but to actually go through the fear and harness it to your, to your benefit, to mm. partner with it. Wow. And that, um, so that five-step process for Mastering Fear, that, that book, Mastering Fear, um, kind of led to the novel, Steel Fear. It's called the Fear Series. Steel Fear is a story that is not really based on, but inspired by a series of real events that happened to, uh, in Brandon's career back in yeah. the 90s. Yeah. And in short, it was uh, when they had just integrated women into ships like this in, a, in, in battle roles, jet, female jet pilots birthing on a, um, birthing meaning sleeping, not giving birth. Right. Birthing, <laughs> right. On, a, uh, on, an air, on an aircraft carrier was a brand new thing. And there was a sexual predator on this aircraft carrier. He was on for six months, this six month tour. There was the sexual predator who was, who was molesting women in the dark. He would like run in, switch off the light, molest them, leave. Um, wow. As bizarre as that sounds. And it happened six, seven, eight times. They never caught the guy. And at the time, Brandon thought, well, man, what if these were murders? Because the, the staff of the ship was in no way equipped to deal with any kind of serious crime. That's not what Navy, you know, what, what, what a aircraft carrier crew is trained to do. Right. So he had this idea for, uh, for a novel. So, but wait, that, 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 that's a true story that actually that the sexual predator is a, true that's a true story, story. that actually happened wow. on the ship okay. that Brandon was on, which was the USS Abraham Lincoln, which is this ship you see right here. Wow. And he thought, what if it were a serial killer? Um, he had that idea. He brought it to me and we sat on it for 10 years. I said, I definitely want to do that at some point, but it took a long time before 
until I had the time, frankly, to wow. and felt the confidence to tackle it, to tackle a full-fledged novel, let alone a thriller. Also, the book didn't have the story didn't have a hero, and so I spent years thinking about this guy Finn, who he would be, this this damaged, wounded, traumatized Navy SEAL, who in steel fear is dropped onto this aircraft carrier for reasons he doesn't fully understand and nobody else knows seems to know. And he ends up being the guy who is both tracking the serial killer and suspected by some of being the serial killer. On um, the ship. On the ship. The whole thing takes place on the ship. The entire story takes place on the aircraft carrier. Wow. It's not really a military book per se. It's really a thriller. It's a psychological thriller. Yeah. By, by book two, which is this, this takes place in Iceland, Cold Fear, in Reykjavik the capital of Iceland, the northernmost battling hardcovers, the <laughs> northernmost capital in uh, capital city on earth. Uh, it takes place between Christmas and New Year's in Iceland. And Finn has landed there um, in pursuit of some people that he thinks will provide some answers to these um, terrible things that have happened, only part, some of which he remembers and some of which he can't remember. He has holes in his memory. But while he's there in Iceland, he gets embroiled in a, uh, in, the, in the sudden and mysterious death of a young woman who drowns herself in the prologue and nobody knows why. And Finn himself becomes completely engrossed in trying to find out why. And he doesn't even know what it is about her death that draws him so, but he's compelled to, to investigate that and at the same time becomes a suspect uh, in that. So he gets mixed up with an Icelandic detective. It's, uh, it, it's my version of, of Nordic noir. Um, taking place in Iceland. And it's it's a thriller, psychological thriller. There's mysteries, there's action. It, it gives you all the vocabulary and all the things that a, that a really engaging thriller should do. It's also, for me, a study in, in humanity. And I mean, all the Finn books are a study in humanity. Yeah. Um, I, I said this on your show last night, but I was recently asked on a podcast. So Cold Fear, this one, is this one based in reality or is it pure escapism? And I was like, wait, those are my only two choices. Right. Because I, I'm not picking you know, none of the above. Right. I don't, I don't buy this thing that fiction is pure escape. To me, the implication of that idea is that your life is wretched and miserable and meaningless. And right. you, you pick up a book or you watch a movie to give you some way of escaping for a few hard-won moments out of the wretchedness that is your paltry existence. And when you finish the book, you'll be dropped back to suffer in reality again. I don't like that picture. I don't buy that picture. No. To me, great fiction, like that East of Eden that Anna had me read so many years ago, great fiction engages you and gives you tools to engage in your reality. It's not an escape from reality. Yes, it is in one sense. It, it takes you away into a foreign place. When you read Cold Fear, you're in Iceland for 400 pages. When you read Steel Fear, you're on an aircraft carrier for 400 pages. And so there is this, you are transported into another world yeah. and other people's lives. In that sense, yeah, it's an escape like traveling is an escape. But most of us know how nourishing to the soul travel can be, right? Yeah. People say you want to learn about life. You want to grow yourself as a person. Travel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's what a good story does. You travel in that story. Yeah. But when you come back 
when you arrive back home, when you close the covers and you've read the last page, I believe you should be a different person than the person who started. Um, you're, you're inspired in a different way. You have insights you didn't have before. It's what happened to you when you read Awaken the Giant. Yep. That was nonfiction. This is fiction. Doesn't matter. Great writing that's, is great writing. That's right. Or good writing is good writing. Um, great. So great work. That's that's you know there are stories about humanity <clears throat> and about the complexity of of humanity. In, in a sense, Steel Fear is is a book about leadership. It asks some big questions about leadership. Cold Fear is a, in a sense, a book about friendship, friendship, loyalty, and betrayal, and it asks some some big questions about those things. So I've got your website scrolling across the bottom, webandman.com. Yeah. Um, everybody watching should go get a copy of this book. Um, it's over on Amazon. Last night it was it was down to $25.20, I think. Um, I don't know where it is today. But, um, you know, I, I got to tell you, like, you have and i told you this before and i mean it i i you're one of my favorite people and your wife is amazing i love both of you i i think that um i i i'm curious what your your um answer to this question i ask this question on on every show um and that is, you know, in your years of being in network marketing and and everything else that you've done, you've you've I'm sure had the um, you've come across a lot of people. And <laughs> and what do you think in in your assessment, what do you think is the number one thing that holds people back from really having it all in life. And I'm, I'm talking financially because I do, I've been broken homeless and I've been wealthy and wealthy's way better. So, um, <laughs> I mean, it just is. Um, but you know, what, what stops people from, from having massive financial success and joy and peace and freedom in life? What do you think it is? Belief in their own limitation belief in their own limitation. And, mm. you know, for, for so many of us, that, that belief was fed by, like your teacher, was fed by people telling you what your limitations were, which they just made up, which is BS, yeah. but still you believed it because that's what we do. We believe what people tell us um, mm. because we're, because, you know, because we're good people. We're naive. We're gullible. We're looking to learn. We're hungry for knowledge. So we believe what people tell us. And yeah. they tell us, you can't do that. And we believe that. I'm so grateful that we tried to start a high school because we didn't believe that we could we didn't we couldn't do it. Um, but I've had a lot of a lot of beliefs about my limitation. Uh, I still I still struggle with many of them. Um, beliefs that I don't have enough time to do something. Belief that something will be too difficult. Belief that it won't be possible to to earn enough money to do this or that. I mean, those those are these beliefs that we have. Um, they're usually formed over long periods of time and repetition, so they yeah. don't vanish like that. But vanish they must, or you know, dissolve they must for us to go forward. But I, I think that is the, the 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 number one thing that holds us back. And often you can see it in the language that we use. 
You know, one of the things that Brandon did in that sniper course, he thinks the most significant change they made, they made all kinds of changes in the sniper program, but the most significant change, they, they brought their attrition rate from, they had a dreadful attrition rate and they brought it up, to, they brought it down to almost zero. They started graduating every, uh, every candidate in the school, they started graduating instead of dropping out half of them. Wow. They weren't better candidates. They weren't, it was better training. And the biggest, most significant difference was he, he had a program of, of mental management. And it was about self-languaging, how yeah. people would talk about, don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. And they would miss. Yeah. Right? Don't miss, don't miss, don't miss. They would miss. They relanguaged that. And that's what we got to do is like relanguage our thinking and our view about ourselves, because that's where that's, you know, what holds us back is the mask we're wearing that we built ourselves. I don't think there's anything more important than what you just said. I, I think I really don't. I think that people we we have a tendency of painting life with the the, the brush that someone else has given us, whether it's yeah. our, our religious beliefs, our our, 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 what you said, our, our self abilities are, I mean, we, we paint our lives with someone else's brush. And I think that it, it's, it's yes. putting that brush down and finding your own and, and, and you can have anything you want in life. And by the way, one of the greatest gifts you can give yourself in your life is to surround yourself with people or even a person who feeds, who feeds limitlessness, who feeds your understanding of how far you can go. For years, Anna used to tell me, you'd write great novels. And I would say, thank you for the vote of confidence. Translation, I don't believe that. I did right. not believe that. Right. I thought that was an impossible thing. She kept saying it. Guess what? She was right. Yeah. I, I didn't believe it was possible, but it turns out that it was. Most things are. Yeah, I, Anna is a great cheerleader for you. Yeah. She's, she's amazing. So I married a cheerleader. Does that make me a football star? That you're the star quarterback. Are you kidding? Me? Hey, I always wanted to be a star quarterback. <laughs> John, I am, I, I'm honored to have you on again. I, I, I'm just, you're, you're an amazing human being and what you're doing for the world is incredible. Jeffrey Wolf just, just got your book. So congrats, Jeffrey. Ah. Excellent. All right. um, Enjoy. Anna says you're a stud. There, there you go. That's that's a that's a horse, isn't it? Or quarterback stud. <laughs> I, I'll take them both. Quarterback. Yeah. So so um, one last question: If if there's somebody watching, you know, when the the whole pandemic and uh, all of that, and we kind of touched on this before when you and Anna were on, but. Suicide rates skyrocketed, just absolutely skyrocketed globally. For someone watching that that may be like, man, I've done everything. I've literally tried everything to pull it all together and I can't figure it out. And they're hanging on to life by a, a thread. What do you say to them to help? Because you and I know that it's going to change. It's going to get better. But like, what do you say to somebody to convince them like, dude, just hang in there. It's going to like, what, what would you say to them? Oh man, that's a hard question. I mean, the first thing that springs to mind is to, is to put your finger on what's important in your life, find what's important in your life, figure out what's, what's important in your life and cling to that like a piece of driftwood, yeah. knowing that the waters will recede. But what is that piece of driftwood? You know, is it, is it painting pictures that even though they don't earn you any income, is it a person? 
Is it, you know, Anna and I clung to each other. I mean, uh, is it a, a, is it a teacher? Is it, is it reading? Is it something you love to do? Is it something you love to study? Is it wh whatever it is, find the thing that is so, that's most meaningful to you and cling to it like driftwood, knowing that the waters, the waters will recede. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Everybody watching, go pick up a copy of Cold Fear. And you might as well go ahead and grab Steel Fear as well if you haven't read it. Hey. But but pick up the the newest book that by John David Mann and Brandon. I Webb. do want I do want to say that if you haven't read Steel Fear, you don't need to in order to enjoy Cold Fear. Cold That's Fear right. is the second book; it comes afterward. But Cold Steel Fear will read just as well as a prequel. You can read them in either order. So don't be. Um, don't feel like you have that limitation. Like you can't read this new book until you've read the old one. That's that's so awesome. And you've got some great praise on the back of this. I hadn't even no. read. You've These got guys, Lee Child. What? Again, one of the nicest men on the planet. Such all, a gentleman. All I can say is look out, J.K. Rowling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have the quarterback. <laughs> Quarterbacks Fred, coming, man. John David Mann is coming for you. That's right. Um, no, you're you're awesome, man. So thank you so much for coming on and sharing and 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 just being who you are. Well, I love 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 being on your show. This is just always have a blast with you. Appreciate you, what thank you do. You. Thank you. I appreciate you as well. So stay with me if you would, but I am going to end the live stream. So um, if you're watching and you haven't shared this out um, and look what Jeffrey says, see, I'm telling you, man, it's, it's hey, coming. It's, from your lips to Louis B. Mayer's ears. Yeah. It's well, he's coming. Dead, but well, yeah, yeah. It's, it is actually in the works, either streaming TV or, or feature film. It's not decided yet, but it's it's coming. We'll have news, I believe, within a few months on this. So that's so awesome. Stay tuned. Can I have your autograph? Yeah. Hey, on that site you mentioned, right, right there, Web and Man, you yeah. can actually buy autographed copies. Brandon and I just signed them together last week in Manhattan. It's autographed copies of Cold Fear what? on the site. Yeah, wow. right there on the site. I'm I'm gonna have. We had a book launch at the Mysterious Bookshop in Tribeca last week, and we sat together and signed cartons of books. That's They're so waiting, awesome. waiting for you. Wow. So go to webandman.com with two Bs and two Ns, webandman.com, and, and, and get a signed copy. That's, that's freaking awesome. I did not know that. Guess Thank what you, I'm Joe. buying? My wife's still watching. Guess what I'm buying today, honey? <laughs> <laughs> anyway john thank you so much i appreciate you and everybody watching please share this out if you shared it share it again it's not going to hurt anything just help the algorithm so thank you there you go john thank you so much we'll see you guys later have an awesome day thank you i appreciate you thank you